Good evening, grave robbers. Welcome to the television graveyard. We are your TV necromancers, Laura Prince and Noah Houlihan. We have come here tonight to examine the spirits of past television shows, to find out which ones could be resurrected, should be resurrected, and which ones should just stay doomed. This is a podcast in which we analyze the history, the hype, and the aftermath of shows that ran only one season, including some that ran only one episode. Or some that are the parasites of other TV shows. With me, as always, is TV's Noah Houlihan. Jellical catch, Jellical no, no, catch. No, stop, Jellical. stop it. No. It's still in me. <laughs> I can't get rid of it. We're, but th- we're doing a different episode. Oh. It's over. It's okay. It's just a, you know, a memory. Oh. <laughs> I still see it when I close my eyes. I legitimately had a nightmare about cats this week. Oh, I constantly live in a nightmare about cats. Our brother-in-law uh, got a VR rig for Christmas, and I had a nightmare about cats VR. Oh, God. We're not here to talk about that. Nope. So we are doing the 1995 Season 2 episode of The Nanny. The Chatterbox originally aired on May 15th, 1995. Yes. I was going to do a Fran Drescher laugh, and then I realized I couldn't. Yeah, that's is that what you choked on the first time we tried nor, to record the well, inter? Nor does she do one in this episode. No, because in the spirit of a backdoor pilot, Fran is in very little of the episode. Yeah. So, let's talk about whatever this is. Okie doke. So, we start in the home in which Fran Drescher... Who plays a character named Fran, which I had always known as just the nanny. I never realized she Yeah, she plays it. Fran Fine. Fran Fine. Uh, and she is nannying for... for the Sheffield family. Yes. And their three children, uh, Maggie, who is uh, 15, 16 years old. She's going to a sweet 16. That's the plot of the episode. So right. you can guess she's probably about 15. Yes. Brighton, who's the middle school aged son. Mm-hmm. And Grace, who we do not see. Who is the young daughter? Yes. And we're setting up the premise that uh, she, she Fran enters on the phone with her mom, who got fired from a bakery and is now looking for a new job. Correct. Uh, additionally, the daughter is heading to her first 16th birthday party, her first sweet 16th birthday party. Yes, and Fran has kindly booked her an appointment with Mr. Anthony at yes, the Chatterbox. At the Chatterbox. Who is a legendary hairstylist according to fran yes and the point is to make everyone else jealous of how good she looks yeah to make all your friends hate you yeah exactly which is a very teenager thing of like you want to be the coolest and you want your friends to be like mad at how cool you are yeah i get it um so then cc comes in yes who is uh fran's boss's associate right and she sweeps in and kind of does a holier-than-thou, like, oh, I thought it was stupid to try to compete with all those snotty little girls, and blah, blah, blah. And Niles goes, you didn't have any friends, did you? Yeah, no friends. I like Niles. This needed more Niles. Yes. Every episode needs more Niles. Because I want to talk about this one very strange moment in this. Yes. Is, uh, Niles then serves her eggs. Yes. And she says... Up. The gene pool is safe. <laughs> then we cut to the title sequence. The title sequence, 
Which is not something I'm used to seeing. Okay. Because usually, like, you end on a plot point and jokes are happening, like, throughout. Mm -hmm. But for this, like, that scene drug on longer just so they could include a joke that is not really related to anything going on. Yeah. I I don't know if it's just because I haven't watched a sitcom in a while, but I don't ever recall that happening. Like, that doesn't seem like well-structured sitcom. I think also the sitcom formula has changed as the lengths of commercial breaks have changed. Because I read this article once that, like, your given sitcom is 23 minutes long in the current era. Because there's seven minutes of commercials for uh, each half hour of television. Right. So, they're structured almost down to the minute of a formula. Right. It was fascinating. Now, this aired about 25 years ago. Yes. So, I would have to look. I have reason to believe based on what I'm about to discuss with you, that shows ran a little longer and the formula was a little different. Okay. That, and because this is a backdoor pilot, they might have broken formula because um, Cece and Niles were series regulars and probably, like, had to be in the episode contractually. Yeah, we had to get them in somehow. Yeah, because people would be like, well, what happened to yeah. them? And that they're not sense. in most of the rest of the episode. Yeah. So this might have been, like, their quick... Like, oh, okay, we're here. Let's get our paycheck. Mm-hmm. And the title sequence runs next. And that's what makes me think that the formula has changed. This was a rip of a lifetime airing that we saw. Yes. And I remember watching it on Nick at Night a lot when I was younger. And I remember the theme song being significantly faster than the rip we watched. Okay. Which makes me think that that was a place that Nick at Night could shorten up a little bit. To fit an extra commercial or two in. Oh, so they cut parts out of the, the title sequence. No. No? It's just faster. Oh, they sped it up? Yes. Interesting. Because when we were listening to the theme song, I was like, this is slow. <laughs> this should be more of a jock jam, and it's not. Yeah, I remember it being really, like, up-tempo. And this was much more, like, sl- like still like an upbeat song, but definitely slower. Hmm. And I kind of think like, hmm, this must have been because Nick at Night wanted to cram a couple more commercials in. Interesting. The next thing we see is the Sheffield living room. This is so, this is a, clearly something born of a sitcom. Uh, about dozens of hopeful young actresses are coming into audition. Maxwell Sheffield is a Broadway producer. Right. That is his job. That is what he does for a living. Uh, I used to watch The Nanny a lot as a kid. Famously, he passed up cats. Oh! That's a running joke in the series, is that he passed up cats. Which, at the time, was a monster hit that was still running. Oh, so it was... That's a thing I knew when I chose that as the lead-in. It, it really wasn't. It, yeah. Prove prove me wrong. <laughs> okay. Uh, tell me literally anything else about the series. It's called The Nanny. I hate you. <laughs> okay. So, Fran comes in the door with the children, and she says, like, fasten your seatbelts, kids. Welcome to Silicon Valley. You know, the old-fashioned slut-shaming that was okay in the 90s. Yeah. Um, and Brighton is mad. Brighton's, like, 12, 13 years old, which is important. He's angry that his father is auditioning the chorus girls before Without, he got home from school. Yeah. And he's like, if they danced already, I'm gonna be livid. And it's very weird, because, one, he's, like, 13, Two, 
you obviously would not be holding auditions in your home. No, is that how it works? No, you would have them in uh, a like a rehearsal space or a theater. Yeah. Or we're not going to pay for another set. No, like you already have the chatterbox. Yeah, so you get the. This is obviously to create the situation that leads in. Maggie wants to change out of her school uniform before her appointment with Mr. Anthony. And so Fran is like, don't keep Mr. Anthony waiting. Uh, Susan Powder kept him waiting once, need I say more? Did not get it. Uh, Susan Powder has a bu- has a buzz cut. Oh. Yeah, she, she was a motivational speaker. And she quite famously in the 90s had a buzz cut. Okay. A hapless auditionee happens in. Mm-hmm. She doesn't look like the other auditionees. She's just kind of like... A hot mess. She comes in and she's wearing this like very late 80s, early 90s blue dress with like buttons sewn on it. I think there were gears? Yeah, like it's very weird. It was very weird. And she goes like, blue is my lucky color and the whole house is done up in blue. And she's wearing blue tinted glasses. Yes. And she, you know, she has this very gung-ho, why not me attitude. And... She goes, what do these girls have that I don't? And Fran's like, are these prescription? Well, also two, like... Beautiful. Beautiful, busty women walk by after she says that. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what do they have that I haven't? And Fran's like, um... <laughs> and then she asks Fran if she's auditioning for the job. And Fran's like, oh, your eyes are just fine. Yeah, yeah for the 25 to 30-year-old spot. Yeah, for, for the tall, voluptuous showgirl spot. Yes. So... Uh, she talks about how she doesn't really have a place to live because she was living with her acting coach boyfriend who broke up with her for an actor with more looks down at her chest talent. Yes. So this kind of ties into Fran's backstory because Fran found herself kicked out by her boyfriend who she thought she was going to marry and that kicks off the entire beginning of the series. Right. So Fran naturally takes pity on this girl. Mm-hmm. She's like, I know that the Chatterbox is looking for a new shampoo girl, and I'm on my way there. Come with me, and I'll get you the job. Mm-hmm. So this is a very obvious backdoor pilot thing of the the new person that is our entryway into this world. Uh, I always use JD from Scrubs as my yeah. example for this. Of Sacred Heart existed long before JD, but we get introduced to it through him. Yes. Pretty much every show is like that and starts yeah. with someone new coming into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, community starts with Jeff Winger entering this world, etc., etc. And especially sitcoms start this way. Yeah. I-, I would say The Office starts with us coming into that world. Yeah, I think The Office arguably starts with the documentarians coming into yeah. this world and us coming in with them. Yeah. Uh, Parks and Rec, similarly. Mm-hmm. Modern Family, similarly. Yeah. I guess Modern Family, Lily. <laughs> Legitimately being born into the world. Yeah, Lily has just been adopted, and that's like the crux of the first season, I guess. Right. So, she takes the takes this girl under her wing, doctors up her resume to help her get a job, and kind of admires her can-do, cheerful attitude. Yes. And then we smash cut to the chatterbox before Fran arrives. So we're just meeting the people at the chatterbox. And the first person we see is Edward Hibbert, who plays Claude. Yes. And he is 
your stereotypical funny gay of the 90s? Yeah, he is. Uh, you may know him as playing uh, Gil Chesterton in Frasier. Gil Chesterton. The food critic. Okay. Uh, which is what I know him as. He was also the original. He played the director in the show within a show and curtains. Okay. Okay. So uh, I saw him live. Uh, when I was younger, when he was in that show. So I always like him. I'm like, yay, I think I met him. He's very okay. nice. Um, so I was super excited to see him because I really like him as an actor. And he goes on. He's on the phone. Chatterbox, Claude speaking. <laughs> what do you mean she's cancelling her four o'clock at Mr. Anthony? You can't cancel on Mr. Anthony without a 48-hour notice. <laughs> Well, when did she die? <laughs> and it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah, it, it's a good joke and like sets up. It it also s- serves the function of how important this hairdresser is. Yeah, how in demand he is. How the chatterbox is not a failing business. It's very, very successful. Yes. Which I feel like is unusual. Yeah, you rarely see successful small businesses being shown. Every time it's a small business, it's always struggling. Yeah, and the chatterbox is very obviously not struggling. Right. Like, Anth- Mr. Anthony is super in demand. He's ve- he's tipped very well, mm-hmm. as we see next, because we see two other series regulars, Yetta and Sylvia, friends, grandmother and mother, respectively, getting their hair done. Yes, and... This part's sexually a lot. objectifying him. Yeah, he sings and dances to What's New Pussycat while he finishes up their hair. What's new, Pussycat? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> What's new, Pussycat? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes. And both women, uh, Yetta tips him by putting the money in his jeans pocket. Yes. And Sylvia gets mad, like, Ma, what do you think you're doing? It's my turn to tip. (laughs) Don't worry, Sylvia, I still got plenty of room on this side. Yes. And she puts it down the front of his waistband of his jeans, like he's Magic Mike. Yes. And then grabs his butt. Like a ripe cantaloupe. You bruise it, you bought it. And your... Could you imagine? Your face. I mean, this is horrible. I know, but I wish I had taken a picture of your face for the YouTube version of this. Like, he is... He's profitable because he's prostituting himself out there. Yeah, I mean, he's providing a real tangible service with dressing hair. Yes, but he is also kind of selling his own appeal. Yes. So he tells Sylvia, you bruise it, you bought it. Yes. Which, also kind of like a weird thing to say. Well, she has compared his butt to a melon. Yeah. So I guess if you bruise a melon, you've damaged it so it can't be sold. I don't know. I guess I was just going in my like improv brain of yes and. Mm-hmm. The, the response to that should be, bruising it, oh no, I have to keep you. Like, that's, that would be the next, like, line of dialogue. You know, like, you bruise it, you bought it. Don't threaten me with a good time. Like, yeah. So. I've watched too much Rock of Love. Yes. Yes, you have. <laughs> I will never stop. Okay. Um, 
Shout out to our friends at Reality Graveyard. Hey. Um, so the Fran, Maggie, and Mary Ruth, uh, who is the auditionee, come in and Fran's like, Now, remember what I told you when I introduced you to Mr. Anthony? Picture him naked. But I'm not nervous. So what? Yeah, just do it. It's fun. Yeah, and he flirts. So they introduce Maggie to Mr. Anthony. And it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, because she says, Oh, you're 16, you're beautiful, and you're mine. (laughs) I made that up. (laughs) Yes. Which, let me be honest, that song is already horrible. (laughs) Yeah, because it's a Ringo Starr song that he wrote when he was much older than the proper age. The proper age to be singing that song is 17 or under. Yes. Is like between 14 and 17. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I want to bring this little thing up. And it might just be the rip or the fashion of the 90s that I don't remember. But the the 16-year-old the girl, what was her name again? Maggie. Maggie is wearing like a purple dress. Mm-hmm. And under the dress, she's wearing a long sleeve white shirt. Yes. And tights, white tights. Yes. The girl that they're trying to get the job for mm-hmm. uh, is wearing a blue dress with a white long sleeve shirt and white tights underneath. So it looks like they're both wearing jumpsuits that yes. they threw a dress over. <laughs> I mean, the jumper over like a long sleeve shirt was a look in the 90s. I remember wearing that when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back, I thought it was a way we dressed children. Yeah. Because you know, like, how there's stuff you wear when you're a kid that you never wear as an adult. Right. Because there's a a meme about, like, how little kids dress now and how, like, they're all baby fashionistas. Mm -hmm. And how I was dressed and you're dressed in, like, sweats with a panda on them. Yeah. And... Love panda sweats. And, like, I don't know if that's because fashion has gotten more accessible and important in the 2010s than it was in the 90s. So in the 90s, you just throw your kid into anything and called it a day. Yeah. Like, but also if you look at what the adults are wearing, a lot of them were just wearing anything and calling it a day. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we digress. Mr. Anthony looks at Mary Ruth's resume, sees that Fran has written in super cuts on there. And he asks her, like, do you sweep floors? And she goes, yes. And he goes, you're hired. Oh, you're missing a big part, though. Oh, yes. You, she says... I think it's only fair to warn you that I am first and foremost an actress. And at any moment, I may get a lead on Broadway. Or, Rip Griffin could call and want a game show hostess. And it could all happen so quickly. In show business, they needed you yesterday. Do you sweep? Yes. You're hired. Bless you, Mr. And grabs his hand. I hate her. You don't like Mary Ruth? I hate her in this moment. Because, like, the acting's not good, and I don't know if the bit is that she's not a good actor, but she, to me, was so unlikable in this moment. Because, like, why would you hire someone who opened with, this job is not my priority, I might not show up tomorrow? I, I think we're supposed to get the impression that he's desperate for help. Because we also hear that only two people applied. 
or later on. Yeah, we do get that information that like he desperately needs something. But if you're that successful as a company, why is it so hard to find employees? I don't know. Maybe the culture of sexual harassment in the... Uh... Perhaps. So, uh, there's a great... There's a really good little sequence about Ma- Maggie going to a Sweet 16 on the Statue of Liberty. Because the Sheffields have a lot of money, and so would any of Maggie's peers. Right. Because we've already established she's in a school uniform. She attends private school. Right. And Yetta, who is much older, announces that... Her sweet 16 was on Ellis Island. Yes. That's a great joke. Yeah. And she's like, there were a lot of people there. Yetta, you were in quarantine. I thought it went on a little long. Yeah. It's funny. Like, it's a pretty solid joke. Uh, one of those jokes that, like, doesn't work now that we're, you know, in the 2010s. And yeah. Ella- <laughs> it doesn't work because the, the timing doesn't line up. It's still funny. It's still funny. Like, it though. ages well. Yeah. And then we meet Kim. Uh, who is the Chinese nail technician. Uh, despite the fact that Kim is usually a Vietnamese name, yeah. every source I found that discusses this says the character is explicitly Chinese. Huh, interesting. Which is strange because I don't think she says that in the episode. No, no, I don't think so. Well, she, there's a part where she's looking at her nails and she says, like, this is my country. But she says my country and but we she don't... Doesn't, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know why the sources I found explicitly say she is Chinese. Maybe if we had a higher quality rip, we could see the outline of China on her nail. Maybe? This is a mystery that deserves something, so... So, uh, she is sassy. Yes. Because uh, Sylvia, who is chubby, gets her nails done and she goes... Uh, how long should I wait before I eat? So she is the snide, sassy nail tech. And I was thinking about representation and how, like, even though nail tech is kind of, like, a very stereotypical job for an Asian woman, I don't know that there were a lot of Asian American women on primetime television in this time. Uh, take a moment. When did American Girl air? The Margaret Cho Show. And by the way, The Margaret Cho Show is a much better title. American Girl was canceled two months to the day before this episode aired. Interesting. So, there just there weren't a lot of Asian American characters. Yeah, like, that's the only one I could think of. Yeah, it was, I mean, All American Girl was the first primetime sitcom to feature an Asian American family. Yeah. So, I mean, and we're still, they're still not very well represented. Like, I can think of Fresh Off the Boat and then... There are more characters now. Yeah, I mean, Amy Kim, I think, is actually her name from Futurama, but that's mm-hmm. not going to show up until the 2000s. Yeah, I mean, you. I mean, we see more characters. I'm just, like, running through characters with the leads. I mean, think about, like, Always Be My Maybe and To All the Boys I've Loved Before and how they're notable because they're romantic comedies with Asian leads. Right. Uh, Crazy Rich Asians is a huge one. I don't know why... Wasn't the first one yeah, I thought of. Yeah. It has it has the word in the title. Uh, Last Christmas has a male love interest who is Asian. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's still an underrepresented group of people. Yeah. And it's really interesting given that they're, you know, that I couldn't think of a lot of other 90s examples of Asian American representation 
uh, Harry Kim from Star Trek Voyager came yeah. to mind. Um, we're also, you know, a little older and we're, or we were pretty young in the 90s and yeah. might not have been watching a ton of network TV at that time. True. So I actually, but I was thinking about like, oh, this is really interesting that this show would have a gay leading character and an Asian leading character. Yeah, this would have been very interesting for the time. Because they just weren't super common in 1995. Yeah, they would go on a lot of B-plot adventures together. And that Claude is explicitly gay. Yeah. Because it wasn't... Oh, he actually does say something later that we'll get to. But it's not that he's, you know, maybe he is explicitly homosexual. Yes. Which is interesting, especially for the time. This would have been right around when the birdcage was coming out, give or take a year. So, Sylvia, Fran's mother, wanted the shampoo girl job, and only one other person applied. And the person she points to is, like, very, very old. Yeah. And, like, asleep under the hairdryer. Yeah. And she goes, but he wanted someone young. But he's now already hired Mary Ruth. So, Fran kind of works her, you know, reverse psychology magic on Sylvia about convincing Sylvia not to take the job because uh, she needs to look after Fran's father. Right. And she cites that Uncle Ed exploded on Hanukkah because he ate 32 latkes and sat too close to the menorah. Right. In case you forgot, Fran is Jewish. Yeah. Fran being Jewish comes up roughly 36 times an episode. Well, like, when she says that, because she mentions it another time. Yes. Uh, oh, because... Uh, I can't complain. I guess you're not no, Jewish. You're not Jewish, are you? I can't think of too many other shows with Jewish leads. Yeah, with explicitly Jewish Except for, leads. like, Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, the one that comes roaring to mind is Rugrats. Yeah, okay. Uh, Dee Dee's family is Jewish. Is Jewish, yeah. Which would mean, culturally, Tommy and Dill are Jewish because it's matrilineal. Yeah. So, we see them celebrate Hanukkah and Passover yeah. on screen. And I remember that being a big deal. Yeah. I believe it was one of the first, if not the first, Hanukkah special for children. Quite possibly. I certainly can't think of any other. And they also had, I believe, the first Kwanzaa special for children with that Susie Carmichael's yeah, family. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Good on you, Rugrats. Yeah, Rugrats, shockingly progressive for their time. Yeah. Uh, so we see Kim, and Kim has very long, elaborately painted nails. Um... I'm going to assume this is a joke that would have run through the entire series mm-hmm. of like she would need something and it would be painted on her nails. Uh, someone screams from the back room and Mary Ruth jumps and Kim just goes, calm down, just bikini wax. Yeah. And then Yetta emerges. So the joke is that this very, very old woman got a bikini wax. Right. Hilarious. Uh, Mary Ruth awkwardly flirts with Mr. Anthony because he is very sexually forward and sexually comfortable and she is none of those things and says like hey you know you can go home now if you want yes and it comes out she doesn't have a home she doesn't have a home it's very sad she goes like do you know of a nice hotel in the area or a shelter yeah i don't really know queens and then claude sweeps up and introduces himself yeah now you do and so he explicitly describes himself as a queen which is a term older homosexual men would use. Yes. Especially in the 90s. So, Mr. Anthony says that Mary Ruth can sleep in the back room. 
And Kim's mad because it was supposed to be an employee lounge, and now it's going to be Mary Ruth's living arrangement. Yeah. Which is sad. Um, I'm going to guess that would have been something that would have been changed pretty quickly. She would have found some place to live. Yeah. Probably with another character. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it would have... I think the idea is, like, everything's going to be contained at the chatterbox. So, like, it makes sense, like, she wakes up and then she's at work. Yeah. But that's also very hard to have your lead be effectively homeless. Yeah. So eventually, I think it would have happened that she would have ended up, like, moving in with Kim. Yeah, And you get that, like, odd couple. Yeah. So then a young man sweeps in. And he is a rapscallion of 13 years old. He is scrappy and injured. And he is Mr. Anthony's son, Mimo. Yeah, this is very interesting. He has gotten beaten up because he is 13 years old, lives in New York City, and his father is a flamboyant straight hairdresser. Yeah, like, he's being attacked out of gay panic. Yes. Which is very interesting to see in 1995. And... Uh, she says something and, uh, Kim has Mimo's entire class picture on her nail. Right, right. And then she looks at Mimo and goes, you're the only one without a tie. And, like, bops him upside the head. So you get the idea that it's taking a village. Yeah. Mimo is being raised not only by his father, but by Claude and Kim. Mm -hmm. Which kind of offers the opportunity for Mary Ruth to also step into a parental role with him. Right. And she immediately tries to tend to his injury, but then talks about why head wounds bleed so much and makes herself faint. Yes. So Kim, like, kind of, you know, comes over and helps Mary Ruth up. Uh, My note says Kim is the best character. Yeah, probably. So Mary Ruth looks for a Band-Aid and finds a picture of Mimo's mother with the glass broken. So this is, I feel, deliberately kept ambiguous. Mm -hmm. uh, Because then... Mr. Anthony comes out, sees Mimo, and they have, like, a little rapport where they sing It's Not Unusual together. And then Anthony picks Mimo up on his hip in a way you don't usually do with a 13-year-old. Yeah. Like, all gender aside, you don't really see people pick up their 13-year-old children like that. Yeah. Because that's not... By 13, they're usually just not pick-upable. Maybe you put them up on your shoulders. Even then, like, they're usually too big by that point. Yeah. But it emphasizes that Mimo and Anthony are very close. Right. And Anthony finds that the picture is out of the, quote, junk drawer. Mm -hmm. And he's mad and throws it in the garbage. And Mary Ruth tries to, like, diagnose the problem. Right. By being like, oh, no. Um, He's really missing his mother. You should, you know, be nice to him. And... You know, Mr. Anthony kind of tells her to butt out of his business. And that's pretty much where we end. And, like, you get the impression she still works there. And it kind of gives you the seeds of a plot of, like, what happened to Mimo's mother. We don't know if she and Mr. Anthony have broken up or if she's passed on. Yeah. Like, we don't know enough. And that's, I feel, very intentional. Yeah, I mean, she does it, like, I didn't get the impression that she was dead. Be- because Mary starts saying stuff like, oh, he's, he misses his mother. Like, I, th- I feel like it'd be almost too cruel for her to say, like, you know, oh, he just misses her. That's because she's dead. I, I think 
it's kept ambiguous on purpose. Right. Like, Mr. Anthony's anger could be misdirected at, like, he's angry at his wife for leaving them mm-hmm. because she passed away and he has a lot of unresolved anger. Um, how could you leave us like this? Even though, obviously, like, it wouldn't have been her choice. Or she left them because she's terrible. Right. But obviously, Mimo loves and misses her. So there's a, clearly, like, that's the plot. It also sets up a possible love triangle mm-hmm. of Mr. Anthony, Mimo's mother, and Mary Ruth. Because mm-hmm. clearly, Mary Ruth is going to fall in love with Mr. Anthony. Right. So uh, it sets up a lot of plot points. Yeah. And would have been a really interestingly diverse show for network TV. Uh, I couldn't find why it didn't get picked up exactly, but I feel like that's probably part of it. That's a good guess. I'm not sure. Not so much with Kim's character, although I could see outcry of her feeling very stereotypical, which was one of the criticisms All-American Girl faced. Yeah. Of people felt like the Asian characters were too stereotypical. Mm-hmm. So that probably would have been a problem with a sassy Chinese nail tech. Because mm-hmm. that feels like a stock character. Yeah. And the also the Claude character probably would have made everyone mad. Right. Because he would have felt stereotypical for some people and he would have existed and that would have made certain uh, demographics very angry because they're terrible. Right. So I, I feel like the diversity actually might have been part of the reason it didn't get picked up because I don't think... Uh, the 90s audiences were going to be cool. Right. Because this is like pre-Ellen coming out. Yeah, I guess it would be. Like, this would have been... Because I was a big fan of Ellen. Because the infamous puppy episode, which is the episode where Ellen comes out, uh, aired in 1997. Okay. So this was before the puppy episode. This is when having... Even a gay one-off character made news. I can't even really think of one that would be prior to this. Because I know Caroline in the City had one. And like we're, we're well before Will and Grace. Uh, I feel like maybe someone showed up in like Frasier. Yeah, I'm looking up a list of comedy television series with LGBT characters. And... There's not a lot of them. Right. Um, and very few that appear before the 90s. There's actually a surprising number on, like, the BBC. That sounds more accurate. <laughs> uh, there's a show for uh, Love, Sydney, where the lead character was gay, but he was in the closet for all 40 episodes. No. Oh. Love, Sydney aired in the early 80s, and... It's not really mentioned until the TV movie that okay. Sydney was gay. Huh. So these series in the series the facts are not stated directly. So looking at this list of LGBT characters, looking in the nineties, there aren't that many yet. Yeah. And very few on uh very few on network TV. Okay. And we don't hit like major characters and leads until like Will and Grace. Yeah. Maybe Spin City. Spin City had one. Carter? Yes. Spin City did have a character. But that's 1996. So we're just starting. And I I feel like Spin City was edgy for its time. Yeah. Kind of. 
So, yeah, like, they're also listing, like, strangers with candy. So right. that, like, we don't start seeing many characters who are LGBT until the 2000s. Okay. Yeah, you, you can always tell when we're light for stuff to talk about. <laughs> we start talking about history. Yeah. I Sometimes I feel like these are some of the best episodes. Yeah, I know. Because you learn something. You're learning stuff. So, uh, we we do not actually get the last couple minutes based on the rip that we had. Yeah, and we couldn't find it anywhere. But we tried. Yes. Uh, so, but we think we saw all of the Chatterbox storyline. Yes. Uh, so... I guess we should give it a verdict, huh? Yep. I think this could have been a stay tuned. Yeah. Yeah, I think this... Obviously, like, it's a backdoor pilot, so it's weird, and it's, like, integrated in another TV show. But I think this could have been a fun, quirky workplace comedy. Okay. Uh, I'm going stay doomed because I hate her. You don't like Mary Ruth? I hate Mary Ruth, and that's who we're centering the show around. Because she's like the outsider and we're like learning about her journey into this world. And the, while the world is interesting, she is terrible. That's fair. So uh, if we're building it on the foundation of her, this show will crumble into the earth. Okay. So, Agree to disagree. I'm going to give it a stay tuned. Uh, anything to add to this one? Not really, no. No, this is a, it was a nice little trip down the nanny lane. Okay, so I don't really have much more to add. All right, this was a fun little episode. Yeah, I'm I'm not a big fan of the nanny, but uh, I really liked the nanny growing yeah. up. It was uh, it was fun. <laughs> I like it's not the worst thing in the world. I just don't think I'd want to watch more of this. That's fair. So, where can people find it? Oh, before we do that, we should explain what's going on next week. Yes. Uh, next week we're gonna have a uh, kind of a bonus episode. Yeah, because. We're going to MAGFest. MAGFest. That's where can you see us live. January yeah. 2nd through 5th in National Harbor, Maryland for MAGFest. Yeah. So uh, basically MAGFest starts on like a Wednesday. Yeah. So, uh, and it's also New Year's. So we are booked to the gills. So we're just going to say right now that uh, we're just going to do a MAGFest review next week. Yep. Just talk about all the shenanigans we got into down at MAGFest. And then in two weeks, what are we doing? Uh, we are going to do the BBC Seven episode series Shattered. Yes, be sure to check that out. It's, it's about, all on YouTube. It's about not being allowed to sleep. It should be super fun. Where can people find us? You can email us at thestaydoomedshow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Stay Doomed. And uh, if you want to talk to me about MAGFest, which is where we'll be next, I'm at TV's Noah. If you also love Edward Hibbert, I am at Priorities. Until next time, stay doomed.